This is the Purpose Church podcast where we exist to help every person live on purpose. It is our prayer that this message helps you experience God in a brand new way. All right. Well, let's jump in today. I got some stuff I want to share with you I think is really going to help you. And this is what we're talking about today really does affect and influence every person in the room. And I can't always say that because you try to write sermons for people that are, you know, teenagers all the way to those of us that are not teenagers. Um, however old you are, I'm not going to guess. But this affects every one of us pretty easily. And this is important for each one of us to live lives that are actually not just influential for Jesus, but lives of peace in our present. It's important that we get a hold of what's going on um, in our thoughts. And today we're going to just focus on one of the lines, uh, one of the letters in our breathe model. But before we do that, let's, let's remember what we're doing. As followers of Jesus, we are either going to become or be mindful or mindless people. We live in a mindless society. We talked about that for the last four weeks. Today's week five of this series. And if you missed any of them, I highly encourage you to please go watch them because they'll help build on each other and help give you a framework for where you, where you are in your spiritual life. But our mindless society just waits on other people to tell us what is true and what's real. And, you know, the tiny rectangles in our pocket buzz at us with truth. And I just remember how lost I felt when I was just letting other people tell me what was important to think about. And not really thinking about what God was saying was important, but it was what cable news or, you know, the rotten sewage of your news feed was telling me was true. It's a mindless approach to life, waiting on other people to tell you what is real and what is true. That's mindless. Mindful living is actually having to learn how to be alone with yourself, and how to be alone with your thoughts and how to process these things and learn how to submit them to God. And I asked this first service, and I didn't ask people to raise hands because I didn't want it to be awkward, but when's the last time you were alone without your phone for at least an hour? When is the last time you were alone without distractions, just meditating on what you read in God's word that day or meditating on what you heard in church that Sunday, when's the last time? And I think most of us would, would say that I don't know. I don't remember. I don't know. I don't remember when the last time was. Well, let's rehearse what holy noticing means. We'll get to it in a second. We're going to help you answer some of these questions. Holy noticing is noticing with a holy purpose. God and his handiwork, noticing our relationships, and noticing the inner world of our thoughts and feelings. Now, we've been going through something called the Breathe Model, and they're going to throw it up on the screen. I'm just going to show you quickly, just for review, kind of what we're looking at. And each week, I've given you a piece of paper. It's also online. I'll tell you the, what, the URL in a minute. But we are trying to teach you and, and, and we'll also walk out in ourselves that every day we can go through this model and it can help us submit these things to God. Your body is the number one barometer for you to, to realize and to see what's going on internally. We don't really live in a society that values that. We live in a society that medicates everything. And so this is a new thing for us. 
And we also understand that relationships, they're either going to make you or break you. So learning to to understand and notice what's going on in my inner circle and submitting those things to God is important. And then the environment, what's going on around us? What have I created, good, bad, and ugly, that, that might be actually hindering me moving forward? What environments am I finding myself in? And what environments am I creating on my own that may not be helpful? And then the affect or the afflictive emotions, like what is going on inside of me? What am I sensing? What, what am I feeling? And then non-judgmentally, looking at those things and seeing what is there without ascribing value to it. That was last week. And then today we're just going to focus on one. We'll get to heart and engage probably next week. But today I just had, I only had enough time to do this one. And I also thought that it was really important because our thoughts affect every one of us. If maybe some of you, you're, you're not morning people. How many of you are not morning people? You're not morning people. Now, how many of you, you're morning people, you wake up and you get your day started? Some of you didn't raise your hand. You don't want to wake up at all. You just want to stay in bed forever. Um, so for me, as the moment my eyes are open, it's like, I mean, it, it's, it is just my eyes open and it's thought after thought after thought after thought after thought. And then some of you are like, maybe after my 10th cup of coffee, I'm able to leave the house. So you're a little slower getting going. Either way, it doesn't matter you have these thoughts that you've got to deal with. Every one of us have to learn how to submit our thoughts. So what we're going to do to get started, put your hand on your heart, and then just, just go with me here. Put the other hand on your head, and I want you to pray this with me. Say, Lord God, I submit my head, my mind, and my thoughts to you, and I open up my heart to receive your truth today. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Now, in our breathe model, T stands for observe and submit your thoughts. Notice it doesn't say entertain your thoughts. Observe and submit your thoughts. And we learned a few weeks ago that as human beings, we are not responsible for the thoughts that come into our brain. It is physiologically scientifically impossible for you to stop thoughts from coming into your brain. But how many of us judge ourselves for having these thoughts? A thought comes into your mind and then, remember we said we should ourselves to death and we're like, I, sh I shouldn't be thinking this, I shouldn't be thinking this. If I was a better Christian, if I, if I was this, if I was that, if I prayed like them, if I was like them, then, then I wouldn't be and we ascribe value to these thoughts when they're just thoughts. We've got to learn how to observe and submit them and learn how to deal with that constant chatter that's going on in our minds because it does affect our spiritual life. Let's look at what Rowan Williams says. He says, the deepest problem in prayer is often not the absence of God, but the absence of me. I'm not actually there. My mind is everywhere. Who can relate to that? Man, if that ain't true, I mean, and I'll just be honest with you, I had these wandering thought, I have these wandering thought issues almost every day I'm trying to pray because I, I want to be up and moving and active. And so like being still is difficult for me. So I usually go for a walk around the neighborhood and pray just to kind of not fall asleep and to be active and to do something. And now the weather's nice, so it makes it easier. But I remember last week, I was trying to pray, I was trying to think, 
I was trying to submit my thoughts to God and, and what my emotions and all these things I was feeling. I was trying to submit these things to God. But my mind kept wandering off. And, I, and I, my mind was wandering off. I'll just be totally honest with you. My mind was wandering off to football. Now, I understand some of you don't like football. I don't understand you either. But it's really important that you know that your mind can wander. And I was sitting there praying for certain people, and then my mind started to wander off to other people who had texted me all these mean things about the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> and then my mind started to wander back to how easily they destroyed the New York Giants last week, and how happy I was in my spirit, man, and how it made God happy as well. Then I started thinking about all of the funny, mean text messages I was going to send back to these hateful people. And then I was like, wait, I'm trying to pray. I'm trying to pray. Now, what I used to do is probably like get really mad at myself and angry with myself. Why am I thinking about sending snarky messages to people about a football team who doesn't care about me? Why am I doing that? Why am I not thinking about something important? But then I started thinking, if God created our brain, and he created it with the ability to wander off all the time. Why would he be upset with me for my mind wandering off to something that is fun for me? Why would God be mad at that? And you and I were probably raised to believe that you gotta stay on task, stay on task, stay on task. Anybody ever heard that? Stay on task, stay on task. And I, when our old school form of school used to get demerits, you ever get a demerit? I mean, what does that word even mean? Like, it's like I demerit you. You are, as a person, you are demerited. That's what I heard as a child. It's terrible, terrible. But I used to get all these demerits, and it would say Landon with like 15 of them on the board, and then the rest of the class with none because I couldn't sit still. And so I just remember thinking I was ascribing these things to my spiritual life, like God is waiting on me to screw up so he can put a demerit next to my spiritual box. I wonder if you live your life like that. So instead of getting upset with myself about my mind wandering, I wonder if we could just own the fact that our attention drifts because that's how our brains work. Our attentions drift that way. Our brains are not computers. They don't just stay on one task based on the operator. Our attention drifts from the present moment to just about anything. What does your mind drift to? Is your mind drifting to that trip you've got coming up, something going on with your kids, something going on? What does your mind normally drift to? Remember last week we talked about that our attention will usually drift to what's important to us. So just recognize it and own it. Look at what Oswald Chambers says, the most difficult thing to do is pray. Amen to that. We cannot seem to get our minds into good working order and the first thing we have to fight is wandering thoughts. The great battle in private prayer is overcoming the problem of our idle and wandering thinking. Does that resonate with you? A professor named Martin Laird paints a profound picture, a, a profound picture of the plight of our minds when he tells this story about something he observed when he was on a walk one day. He was on a walk going through, and there was this big open field, and and I guess it was pretty sparse population-wise, so the guy let his dogs off the leashes. He was walking three dogs. And he realized that there were two of these dogs that just went bounding through the field. I mean, just having the time of their lives, just bouncing through the grass, rolling around, running, and just running like crazy. But then there was the third dog who was advancing a little bit but was running in circles as he did. 
as if to chase his tail. Well, Professor Laird was like, what is going on with that dog? Was he dropped on his head? Like, what is going on with that dog? So finally, he gets up the courage to ask the owner, sir, I realize your two dogs are just running like being dogs, just doing what dogs would do, right? Just run off and have fun in the field. But what's up with this third dog? And the gentleman said this. He said, this dog lived his entire life in a cage. And before I acquired him, he was stuck in there. And he could only exercise by running in circles. So for this dog, running means running in tight circles instead of bounding through the field that surrounds him. Sometimes our minds are kept in similar mental cages. And we ruminate on things and we run in circles. You ever wonder why people do this? Because when we say that person's crazy, it's they can't get out of their own head. And we're stuck in our thinking and anxiety and depression take over our lives and then we wonder why we don't feel connected to God. There's a lot of factors we've gone through for the last four weeks that'll help you start settling these issues in your spirit. But I wonder if you're, you're in this place too where there's this repetitive mental loop, like a scratch DVD that just keeps playing the same scene over and over and over. Rather than running through God's open fields of grace, we're running in tight, small mental circles. Our minds are like an inner narrator that has something to say about everything and is full of judgments with emotions attached. Have you ever been around somebody who knows everything about everything? We've been, we've been around people where we're talking about parenting, we're talking about kids and they don't have kids but they know how to parent mine. You're, you're around people that you... You, you talk to them about raising children and then they start talking about their puppies. I'm sorry, it's not the same and it never will be. You got these people who think they know everything. And I wonder, there's, there's a whole other sermon series on insecurity and pride, we'll do that next year. However, right now, I wonder if you and I could really come to grips with the fact that there's this internal chatterbox in our mind that acts like it knows everything. And it ascribes meaning and judgment to every thought that you have. That incessant chatterbox that's in your mind is often biased and confused. And as we become embroiled in our thoughts, we pay undue attention to those thoughts, and then we create stories about that that don't often reflect reality. And we become players in this unhealthy drama that's playing out in our minds. Our brains are designed to run extremely efficiently and thoughts run through our brains and science has discovered that almost up to 60,000 thoughts per day run through your mind. And when we don't stop and allow ourselves to wholly notice, we whisk up our emotions into a frothy mess, hindering us from being present in the moment for others and for God. Heuristics is a term that I think we need to understand, and it's the mental shortcuts that can facilitate problem solving and probability judgments. These strategies are generalizations or rules of thumb. They help reduce cognitive load and can be effective for making immediate judgments. However, they often result in irrational or inaccurate conclusions. You ever, who's been to Ikea? You've been to Ikea? Now, 
Some of you feel like it's hell on earth. I understand. Just get to the Swedish meatballs. Some of you think it's heaven on earth. There's really no one in between. It's either heaven or hell for us. I try to take every shortcut I can. You know the doors that lead to the other stuff and you get to bypass all the boring things like forks and get to the stuff you're actually there for? No one ever says, I just need to run into Ikea real quick. You've never heard that sentence in your life because you can't. Once you get into Ikea, the Swedes own you for at least two hours. You are stuck in there. And then you put your kids in the playland and then, then you're okay with being stuck in there. But you, I, I'm like, Kelly's like, hey, we, let's go look at these rugs. I'm like, cool, let's go. And then I get out the map and I literally get out a pencil and I chart the fastest way to the rugs. And she's like, no, no, we're not gonna do that. I'm like, why? Because we just need to see what's on sale. Our, see, our, like our brains try to take all of these shortcuts, but when we do, we might miss out on the other things. We might miss out on stuff. We miss some important things. We miss, we, we miss what's around us, the environment, the stuff we talked about, the affect, the afflictive emotions. When we try to take these shortcuts, heuristics are like this emotional random access memory where our brains are trying to think through all of these things without all of the information. Have you ever made a bunch of decisions and then you... You take a step back and you're like, I didn't think this all the way through. It's because your brain took over to make this decision as quickly as possible so you don't end up in pain. Our brains are trying to protect us a lot. We have to learn how to work with ourselves and not super spiritualize everything. We gotta learn how to live with the body that God created. I think it's very important. We too easily assume that our thoughts are true without questioning them. As they merge, as our thoughts merge with emotions, they produce this turbocharged response and these thoughts become extremely vivid. Thoughts and feelings intertwine because our fight or flight center has been activated. So emotions can cause thoughts and thoughts can cause emotions. But say this with me, thoughts are not fact. Say that with me, everyone just say thoughts are not fact. Now, I know some people who feel like their opinions are fact all the time, that their feelings are fact all the time. And they have that mindset of, I think, therefore, I am. Oh, y'all have heard that before. But I wonder if, if we could rewrite that and say, I think, therefore, I need to think better. Because sometimes our thinking is defining us when it shouldn't be. Our thoughts do not need to be definitions of our depth or our spirituality. They're just thoughts. What you entertain is what's important. But thoughts are just thoughts. They're not fact. And you and I can change these unhealthy thinking habits and patterns by creating new neural pathways, just like a river creating a new channel. And holy noticing helps us create these pathways that are aligned with truth. We've got to build the right muscles. Have you ever, if, if you ever had a gym membership or if you're into working out or whatever, you've been to the gym and you've seen people who skip leg day all the time, they are totally swole up top, but they are walking around on chicken legs. <laughs> and they're not proportioned correctly because they just, they're just trying to work on their show muscles. 
They're just trying to work on what America thinks is important. They don't care about core or actual health or diet or the things that carry around all day. They just want to look good in that ripped up tank top at the beach. A lot of us, our, our emotional and spiritual life is like that. We, we, we build up these things that kind of look and feel good, but we're not doing the things that actually hold us up when times are rough. Like we, we want to learn how to worship and we want to learn how to shout and we want to learn how to do these things, but what about when you're alone with your thoughts and our amazing band isn't in your living room? What, 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 what about when you're, when you're ruminating on something that you know you should not entertain and it's like this, this mental pathway that just keeps getting dug out and this river keeps getting deeper and deeper. What are you gonna do then? If you don't have the strength to sustain yourself in those moments, you fall. So I'm gonna give you two things today, just two points today, that I think are gonna be really important for you, what holy noticing does to our thinking. Number one, holy noticing helps us see our thoughts more clearly. Have you ever felt like, man, this is just so muddy? Where I'm so confused. Like I can't, I can't think through this. Like I got so many thoughts. Have you ever felt that way? When difficult or painful thoughts arise, we often try as human beings to avoid, analyze, fix, or judge them as if our thoughts were facts. Holy noticing helps us step back and non-judgmentally be with those thoughts and be with the discomfort that they bring. This allows the Holy Spirit space to do his work of healing. Instead of trying to get rid of the thought or just trying to be busy ignoring it, we allow this thought to come to the surface so we can submit it to the Lord. Monasteries call this work the mindful attention or the Greek word apatheia. It's being aware of your thoughts or feelings without feeling compelled to fulfill them. And for some of us, you're like, I'd love to learn that superhero trick. But it's being aware of these things, but being able to step back and see them for what they are, just thoughts. Being aware of them. Now look at 2 Corinthians 10. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Paul uses a military metaphor about likening our thoughts to an enemy combatant that needs subduing. He describes these thoughts as objects to be reckoned with rather than something ethereal and untouchable. Notice that the verse doesn't say murder every thought. That's how I used to read it. This thought comes into my mind and then you try to murder it with the scripture. You have this thought of anger and you try to murder it with a verse about peace. You're feeling depressed, you try to murder that thought with a verse about joy. And we, we're doing things that are actually unchristian. We're worshiping our ability to fix a problem rather than submitting it to God and allowing him to deal with it. So actually, we're worshiping ourselves. But you were, you were taught to do that. You and I were taught to do that. We were taught works-based Christianity. We, we were taught that be a good boy, be a good girl. We were taught the Santa Claus version of faith. But nowhere in the Bible do I read that. 
The Bible actually says to take captive the thoughts, not murder them. Take them captive. In other words, they're there. You know it's there, but they have no control. But they're there. Holy noticing helps us look at our thoughts like a detached observer rather than experiencing life from unfiltered and often incorrect thoughts. Wouldn't you love to not be captive to your thoughts, but you to be able to take captive your thoughts? How much more free could your life be if you were not subjected to every thought that came into your mind? The second thing is holy noticing helps us avoid common thinking traps. Yes, there are traps, and yes, I'm gonna show them to you here in just a second. God has given our minds an incredible ability to think about the past and imagine the future. It's an incredible ability. My children, not my daughter because she's awesome, she's perfect, the boys though. Um, <laughs> I walked outside the other day and we have a little backyard, you know, that's how subdivisions are. You got like a tiny plot of land. So we have a tiny backyard. And I was walking through the backyard doing a chore that was the boys to do, but they were playing with friends and I was trying to be the fun dad. So I was scooping poop for them. I had the little deal. I'm scooping poop. I'm just walking through the yard looking for bombs. And then out of nowhere, I fall into a hole, a real hole in my ground that I pay for. Somebody had dug a hole about a foot and a half to two feet deep. They whine about picking up clothes, but they can dig a hole. They had dug a hole and covered it with twigs. It's kind of funny. <laughs> Wasn't funny at the time. But they covered it with twigs. And then on those twigs had put a bunch of dead grass and leaves. Like you would see like in Mel Gibson's Apocalypto where they're trying to like hurt people. They were trying to hurt dad. Inside that hole, I have all these thin bricks that I used for a brick veneer project I did at home. I have all these leftover bricks. They went and got my new hammer. Don't mess with dad's tools. They went and got my new hammer and beat a bunch of bricks into pieces to make them jagged and sharp. Put all of those bricks in the bottom of the hole. And when I inquired of them as to why they did this, they said, so whoever comes into our yard will be hurt. And so their feet will be ripped up to where they can't run away so the cops can catch them. Did you ever think that dad might walk into that? My youngest son said, yes, we did. <laughs> then they walked away. They won. They won that day. But I'll get them back. You know, so they, they won. I just, I think that this was a good representation because I actually thought about this. It was so funny how these sermon illustrations just happen to my life all the time. And while I am cleaning out the jagged, serrated, painful bricks from the bottom of this death trap, I was thinking about how many times have I walked into these mental traps and I knew they were there. I knew those mental traps were there and I still scrolled through them for an hour. I knew that emotional trap was there and I still logged into it. I knew that painful trap was there and I still did it. 
But some of us may not know what these mental traps are, so I want to help you. So Crystal and Matt are going to pass out the thinking trap assessment to you. So for all of you type ones on the Enneagram in the room, you're really pumped up that this looks like an Excel spreadsheet. And for those of you that know that I don't think in Excel, you should be proud of me that I did this all on my own on Excel. Now, this is going to have on the left-hand side a 10 different thinking traps. Thinking traps that influence every one of us. And then over here is the scale of 1 to 10, 1 being seldom, 10 being often. Now, if you've got a pen, you can take it with me as I read them. But if you don't, then please take it later. I'm going to read them to you. Let's expose some of these thinking traps. I'm trying to help you not fall into the jagged bricks below. Another twist to this story is that someone I love built the trap. Sometimes it's the people closest to you that are setting these traps, but because you're blinded by the relationship, you're not seeing it for what it is. You gotta take that stuff to God, deal with that on your own time. But I just think that we need to objectively look at these traps. Camille needs one. Somebody get Camille one. Do you need a piece of paper? Crystal's got you. Number one, I imagine worst case scenarios. That's what psychologists call catastrophizing. COVID taught us to catastrophize. If you weren't a catastrophizer before, you are now. Kelly and I were on date night the other day, and we were walking down the street, outdoors, quite a ways away from people, at least 15 feet away from the person in front of us. And because it's ragweed season, I sneezed. God forbid. And I was walking and I sneezed. And now I, I, I granted, I am not a quiet sneezer. Some of you guys sneeze and I think you're going to spontaneously combust. Just let it out. Like they, there's this, uh, 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 and you're like, what? No, mine like shakes the trees. I'll give the lady that. But we're walking down the street and I sneeze and she grabbed her children as if I was a child abductor. And, and, and she looked at me and like got her kids away from me. That's the fear that people are living in now. Everything is the worst. Everyone's going to die. Everything is wrong. No one can do anything right. That's the world you and I live in. You and I have to learn that this pandemic did not take God by surprise. Do you think he was like, well, dang. Maybe I should have left Jesus down there a little longer until this was all over. None of it took God by surprise. So you and I have a responsibility to learn how to live lives of peace in the middle of all the nonsense that's going on around us. It's no one else's job to bring peace to your life. But I think a lot of us live our lives like that, like we're scared, we're hypervigilant. We'll get to that in a second. So are you catastrophizing? If so, um, there's quite a few things you can do to, to fix that, like turn off the TV. Number two, I exaggerate the negative or discount the positive. You ever met somebody like something great happens to them and they're like, well, just wait. Just wait. I was watching this show where they were interviewing different people that won the lottery. It's actually quite sad. But the funny part of it was this lady had won like $10 million on a scratch off and she never plays the lottery. 
It was just like a one-time thing just to see what it felt like, and she won $10 million. Her number one response was, well, the government's going to get 50% of it on capital gains. Instead of knowing that I'm going to get $5 million, she was mad that she had to give a bunch of it to the government. And I was like, but you just got $5 million. You know what I would have $5 million? A church building. That's what I would have with $5 million. All right? A $5 million check. So please go play the lottery. Just kidding. Just kidding. Joking, joking, joking. Number three, I convince myself that I know what people are thinking. Psychologists just call that mind reading. And you can't do it. But you think you can. Have you ever had these conversations in your mind where you are talking as if they said it, but they never said it? You just thought that that's what they were thinking? That'll drive you crazy real quick. Number four, I live by a list of unbreakable rules for myself and all of humanity. Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not break. So if you're that stuck in your rigidity, that's a problem. Number five, I hold others responsible for my pain or I hold myself responsible for other people's pain. Number six, I assume things are true because they feel true. Feel true. Number seven, I see things as either black or white with no gray in between. That kind of goes hand in hand with number four. Number eight, I am hyper vigilant about some things, and that's called tunnel vision. You're so stuck on one problem or stuck on one situation, you can't see what's really going on around it to make adequate decisions. Number nine, when something goes wrong, I attribute it to something that I did. It's called personalizing. And number 10, when I try to make a decision, I get stuck doubting myself. That's called overthinking. If you scored a six plus on any of these, holy noticing will be a spiritual discipline that will help you recognize the traps that you've fallen into. Now you know the traps are there, unlike me in my backyard. No, I have not filled that hole in. You know why? I didn't dig the hole. Guess who's going to fill the hole in today instead of play with their friends? My children. You are not responsible to fix every trap, but you are responsible to avoid them now that you know what they are. Dr. Kurt Thompson says, holy noticing will enable us to pay attention to our minds in order to pay attention to the spirit. Isn't that good? And for some of us before this series, you thought your mind and your spirit were two separate things. That's not how God made us, and that's not how we were created so we're bridging the gap here. Holy noticing helps us detach from wrong thinking. Yes, there is such a thing as wrong thinking in the same way food slides off a Teflon pan. But you and I are like living life with these old rusty pans and everything sticks to it. And whatever you put in there, it's stuck. And you gotta scrape it out. But if you and I can learn holy noticing, things come in and they come out. They slide in, they slide out. Like we, we have a responsibility to learn how to do the things that will keep us grounded. We're simply just being aware of the things. We're just noticing them. Just like you can't hang a picture with your nose on the glass and make it level. You gotta step back and see it in the grand scheme of things. It's the same way with holy noticing. Step back, get a wide angle view and a wide perspective of the situation and then the thoughts that resulted. There's other mental health benefits to holy noticing as well, like improved working memory, amen to that. 
Reduced mental fatigue, ever been to work and within an hour you're just exhausted? Increased mental flexibility, enhanced creativity and even insight. And as I was thinking about this, as we get ready to close, I was thinking about how different like mountains in the Bible have played a role with different biblical characters. Like Moses, Mount Sinai. Elijah was on Mount Horeb and David wrote about Mount Zion copious amounts of time. In fact, he wrote in Psalm 125, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. See, when we trust in the Lord by redirecting our thinking and allowing him to handle it instead of you and I trying to emotionally handle it and try to fix it all, when we submit it to him and let him be God, we're like a mountain that responds to the weather. Mountains experience all kinds of weather. There's wind, clouds, thunderstorms, blizzards, even drought. Even so, the mountain does not become the weather. It simply observes it. In Christ, we're like the mountain with all kinds of weather around us made up of circumstances, emotions, and thoughts. We may prefer certain kinds of weather, but we are not the weather. You may feel sad, but you are not a sad person. It's a a great way to think about yourself, that you have an identity in Christ, and because there is certain weather patterns surrounding you today, that doesn't change who you are in Jesus. Isn't that good news, everybody? There may be lightning, wind, flooding, hail. I don't know what season of weather your life is in right now, but your identity in Christ is stable. Your afflictive thoughts and emotions are not you. They do not reflect your identity in Christ. They just are your emotional weather. And holy noticing helps you keep that perspective. It helps you to stop personalizing every thought. I think that should set some of you free today. Philippians 4.8 says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about that. And I'll just be very honest with you. Is there anything that your thumb can scroll through that is right, pure, lovely, admirable, or excellent? For me, that answer was no. And so, you have to make these decisions for yourself and then make the practical decisions to deal with it so you're not tempted. But we gotta think about the right things. That is our responsibility. See, it's not a correct prayer to pray, God, take these thoughts away. Just like it's not helpful to pray, God, take this pain away. He never will. But God, help me see myself in you through the middle of the pain. Help me be stable in the middle of this thunderstorm of thoughts. Give me courage to withstand, be steadfast, long-suffering. Christian neuroscientist Jeff Schwartz coined the phrase, survival of the busiest. In other words, the thoughts we think about the most are the ones that stick the most the most active thoughts survive. 
If we don't pay attention to our thinking, guys, we become captive to the changing weather. We become captive to the changing weather patterns of our lives. Our emotions, our moods, our thoughts, our experiences, anything and everything to which we have little awareness begins to take control. As we close today, one time, this was before we had kids and camping was easy. Kelly and I had this little two-person tent. We were living in Dallas and we were, I had like this freak three-day weekend, which never happens when you work retail, never. For some reason, the stars aligned and I had Friday, Saturday, and Sunday off. So we were like, let's go do something. We had no money, so what's cheaper, almost free? Camping. So we grabbed whatever food was in our little pantry in our tiny apartment, got in our little Dodge Cirrus, or Chrysler Cirrus, which is like a Dodge Stratus, had no hubcaps, it was, it was a terrible car. But we drove to Oklahoma. This was before smartphones, right? Before you could check the weather on your phone. And we didn't like watch the weather channel. Or back then there was actually a number you could call and the weatherman would read the weather to you on the phone. Does anyone remember that? Some of you were like, what are you talking about? It, I, I, wow, I feel very old. Anyway, I forgot to call the weatherman and I forgot to buy a newspaper and read it. We got to Oklahoma. The day we got there, it was 78 degrees and beautiful. We're having the day, time of our lives. We did not know that the first blizzard of the year was coming in that night. We're sitting in our tent and I wake up about three o'clock in the morning and the tent is like, I'm like, what is going on? I unzip it and I get pelted in the face by ice balls. We spent the rest of the night in the car, sleeping in the heater. I think a lot of us, we go out in life and we just do all of these things instead of stopping and checking if it's a good idea first. Stopping and checking if this is worth my time, if this conversation's worth my time, is that meeting worth my time, is scrolling endlessly through other people's trash worth my time. And then we get stuck. Kelly and I ran out of gas that night because we fell asleep with a car on stuck in a storm in the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma. Maybe you're there emotionally right now. Maybe you're spiritually there. You've wandered your way into a storm and now you feel stuck. Good news is, is that Holy Ghost AAA is around the corner. And today he wants to help set you free from that again. Now you know that trap exists, so avoid it. Avoid these thinking traps. See, the key to spiritual and emotional well-being is not becoming overly attached to our thoughts. So if you don't remember anything today, just remember that your thoughts are not facts. They do not own you. They do not control you. They are just thoughts. Submit them to God and let them pass and move on with your day. They're gonna pass out the next piece of paper and that's the one that everyone's been waiting on for your playbook. If you don't know what this is, we've been giving these out every week. They are online at thepurposechurch.com slash holy noticing if you wanna download them. This is kind of your playbook for the week to meditate through, okay? This will go hand in hand with the other papers and the next week you'll get the last one, all right? So who needs some shalom today? Who needs some peace in your life? Some emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being. 
allow God to speak to you today. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? And that's just to help eliminate any distractions for you. Lord, would you speak to us even right now? Speak to us in this moment. Lord, we submit our thoughts to you. God, may may our minds be at ease. May our hearts be at peace. May we be kind and gentle to ourselves because you are. You're kind, you're loving, you're good, you're patient. May we be all of the fruits of the Spirit to ourselves. So everybody, pray this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life, my entire life. And hold your hands like this. Just kind of get in this posture of receiving. Lord, I submit myself to you. I hold nothing back. I give my thoughts to you, my emotions to you, my life to you. Forgive me of my sin. Fill me with your grace. May I believe the truth that I am saved, that I am not broken. I am redeemed. So I believe your word when it tells me that when I receive you, I am made a brand new creation. So I declare it boldly that I am brand new, that I am saved, that I'm doing better than I thought I was, that I'm headed in the right direction, and that Jesus is my King, and I'll never be the same. Never, never, never in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Come on, give him praise for that today. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Church Podcast. If God uses this message to impact your life, tell us your story by emailing mystory@thepurposechurch.com. Be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website at thepurposechurch.com to get connected and receive all the latest information.